think that made it obvious who's not here today. <laughs> That's like a fourth of the amount we usually have, but we're glad spring break comes along and families get to go off and do some things together. We, we had our grandkids here for much of the week, so if I don't have a lot of energy today, I just want you to know up front uh, that it was spent in other areas earlier in the week. Uh, Lanny mentioned Duck Dynasty. Yeah, I can remember when uh, I was a kid that the Churches of Christ all were so proud of a, a superstar, Pat Boone. Remember him? And how we'd point to him and say, he's a member of the Church of Christ. Well, uh, Doug Dynasty, those guys are members of the West Monroe Church of Christ. In fact, the father is an elder there. Uh, so that ought to be interesting elders' meetings. I think their elders' meetings are probably a little more interesting than ours. What do you think about Doug? <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 3 today. This is a very personal letter of the Apostle Paul. Paul gives more personal information, and he's more transparent in this letter than almost anywhere else, I think, in, in his writings, and uh, talks about some very deep things about what's going on inside of Paul. Uh, let's be standing, please, as we hear this, which uh, through the Apostle Paul is God's word to us. Paul writes this, if anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet, whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. If somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. May God bless the reading of his word. Begin with the question today, who are you? How would you describe yourself if someone just says, tell me who you are? What would you say in that? Now, we get asked that question sometimes, but it usually has a context. And the context kind of helps us decide how to answer. For example, most of you have applied for a job at one time in your life, and you go in for the interview, and the interviewer will ask you some kind of question like that. Well, tell me about yourself. Tell me who you are. 
Well, if you're sitting there being interviewed for a job, there's certain things about yourself that will come to mind. You will want to convince the person you're a hard worker, perhaps that you have experience in this, or present yourself in some way that that will make that employer want to hire you. And so those are the things that would come to your mind. Now, these days, it seems like a lot of people find that they are describing themselves online on various sites. You know, you give a profile about who you are, and you have to make up your mind what kind of information about yourself you want out there. Uh, I've never been on one of the dating sites, uh, I promise. I just wonder how people would describe themselves on those sites. I think you could tell if it was someone from my generation or Trey's generation, if they said something like, I like pina coladas and getting caught in the rain. Remember that one? I don't like pina coladas, though, so that wouldn't apply to me. But anyway, you know, how you describe yourself is dependent on what you're doing and who you're trying to impress and what the context is. But just suppose for one moment with me that someone sat you down in front of your computer pulled up a blank Word document and said, all right, tell me who you are. Just fill this out. Who am I? And however you want to describe yourself, think about what are your goals in life? What do you love in life? Maybe even what upsets you in life? What defines who you are? Now, you may have never really stopped and thought about it in those terms, But one person that I'm aware of did, the Apostle Paul. He had given a lot of thought about who he was. And he was able then in this letter to his friends to describe himself. And as he was thinking about it, he said, you know, really, I'm not who I used to be. And he tells them who he was. But then he says, now let me tell you who I am. If you had asked me as a teenager, if you had asked me when I was in my 20s, I would have described myself in one way, but something has happened in my life, and now I think of myself totally different. So we want to listen to Paul describe himself. As I said, Paul is very personal in this letter. At the very beginning of the letter, he even wrestled with life and death and in a very intimate way, shared very personal thoughts with the Philippians saying, you know, I I don't know if I'm going to live or die. And he said, I don't even know if I want to live or want to die. I'm really struggling with this because certainly to live is good, but to die is Christ. And what do I need to do? And what, what do I really hope happens as I sit here in this prison cell wondering what's going to happen in my life? Well, now he gets to this point, and he said, I want to do my best to describe to you what my life used to be like. So as Paul was filling this out, the first thing he would say on this list is that I was born into a very strict religious family. Now, that sounds like to our ears, maybe that's kind of a negative, doesn't it? But it was very much a positive in Paul's life. He said, this was good. My parents were God-fearing people who did the very best they could to make sure that I grew up learning to worship God, keeping all the rituals, 
He even mentions that like a good Jewish boy, he was named and circumcised on the eighth day, just like the law said that you should do. And so therefore, this was a part of who he was. From the very beginning of his life, he was born into a very religious and faithful uh, environment. He goes on to say then that I am one of God's chosen people. That's pretty heady, isn't it? That he said that that's the way I thought of myself because that's what mom and dad taught me. That's what I learned when I went to the synagogue was that God had chosen the people of Israel to be his special family and that he had called them to be a nation among all the nations and that they had the the responsibility and the calling to disseminate the knowledge of God throughout all the world. So he said, I really bought into that identity, and I realized that that I was a part of a special race of people, and that we were called by God, and and, and we were called to do certain things for God, and to be his family, and to be his nation. He went on to say, I was even committed to preserving the language of my ancestors and the ways of my ancestors. there's some of us here today that really uh, like to understand our family histories, and we really kind of want to hold on to some of the old ways. Amen? All right, good. Okay. And, and Paul says, that's the way I was. Uh, and, and I realized that, that I could read back about David, and I could read about Isaiah, and I could read about Jeremiah, and these were important people, not just in my family, but they were important people in the history of the world at large. And I wanted to preserve, I was a Hebrew among Hebrews, is the way he says it. And what he's saying is that I felt like that preserving our culture, preserving our way of life was extremely important, and I was really committed to that. Another thing he says is I was a member of the most exclusive and respected organization in all of my religious faith. Paul says, I was a Pharisee. Now, I know as soon as we hear the word Pharisee, we've been conditioned by reading the Gospels and Jesus' evaluation of the Pharisees and his, his criticism of the Pharisees and some of the ways they had gotten off track. But Paul, at this time in his life, saw this as a point of pride. Not everyone got invited to be a Pharisee. You had to meet really stringent requirements. You had to be recognized as a real person of faith. You had to know your Bible inside out. You had to know all these things to be say, say okay, now you can wear the title of Pharisee. And Paul said, when I was a young man, I was proud of that. I was proud that I had been invited, I had been accepted into this exclusive group of people known as Pharisees. He also says, I was a zealot. Now, in your Bible, it says, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Do you know what zealots are or were? (laughs) I guess are would be a good thing to talk about, too. We have some of those. But a zealot back in Paul's time were committed to the restoration of the land of Israel and the religion of Israel, committed to the point that they would even pick up and bear arms in order to make it happen. Jesus had a couple of zealots among his 12 apostles. Simon the zealot was one of them. These are guys that were always packing, you know. They always had weapons on them. And at the the drop of a hat, They would pull those weapons out and fight whatever battle needed to be fought. Paul says, I was one of those. That in fact, whenever anything threatened my religious faith, I was ready to get physical about it. 
to the point of when this church thing came along, whenever these Christians started popping up, then I physically restrained them. I physically persecuted them. I imprisoned them and probably was responsible for the death of some of them. So that's who I was. That's why I was that dedicated to this aim of preserving the faith of the nation of Israel as I understood it. And one more thing he put on his list was he was disciplined to the point that he did not violate any of the rules that God had given. Now, this sort of comes from the Pharisees themselves. And uh, if I'd had time, but I was teaching class, I would have gone. I, I can't remember the number of laws that the Pharisees had come up with. Uh, for some reason, 365 sticks in my mind. But as I realized that, I thought, well, that's the number of days in a year. Maybe that's where that comes from. I don't know. But they had made a list of every commandment that they felt like needed to be kept out of the Old Testament or out of Scripture. And they taught the Pharisees, they taught their people, you've got to do these commandments. Don't do the things God said not to do. Do the things he said to do. And they felt like that a person could do that, that it was doable, that you could, if you grew up from the very beginning of your life attempting to keep all these commandments, you could do it. And Paul said, you know what? I was so dedicated, I did it. You could take that list and start asking me, do you do this? Do you do this? I would go check, 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 check. You could not accuse me of breaking one commandment of God. So that's who I was. Now, it sounds like Paul was kind of full of himself. Maybe he was. I don't know. It sounds like he certainly was confident that he was doing the right thing. And he was confident that he was spending his life using the life that God had given him in the way that God was most honored by his life. But something happened. And most of us in this room know the story of what happened. As he was right in the midst of being this person, on his way to the town of Damascus, in order to root out this thing called Christians in church, then he, Jesus himself appeared to him and said, Paul, you're on the wrong side. Why are you persecuting me? And he actually came to see Jesus in a vision face to face and realized that God had moved on, that God was doing new things, and that he was being called to be a part of that. So therefore, he said, you know, I went back and looked at my life and I read these things about what I was and what I did. I highlighted them and pushed the delete button. So now I want to tell you, who I am now, what it's like to be Paul now. Let me tell you what my highest goals are, what my, my pleasures are, where I live. Let me tell you who I am. He begins by saying, my main goal in life, the highest goal that I have is to know Christ. Now, this is so important in this brief little passage I read to us today he says it three times. Now, notice he doesn't say, I want to know more about Jesus. Now, that's important information, too. We do want to know more about Jesus. But Paul says, my goal is to know him. It's to have a relationship with him. To actually sense his presence in my life through his spirit that lives within me. To have conversations with him. 
to know that wherever I go, he is there with me and for me, and that he can also count on me to take him wherever I go, that I will only go the places that he really wants me to take him, that I will be to him a true and faithful friend. I want to know him. Paul says this has replaced any other goal that I ever had. He goes on to say, I want to be found in Christ. Now, I used to look at that and think, what does that mean to be found in Christ? And then I was reading someone that translated it a little bit differently. And the way they translated it was this. I want to be discovered in Christ. I like that. Do you ever have any fantasies, or some of you older folks may have given up on your fantasies. You'll have to think back like me a long time ago. Ever have fantasies being discovered, you know? Because deep down inside, you feel like there's something about you that's really special, and maybe not everybody else sees it. Wouldn't it be cool if this talent scout just discovered you and said, wow, look at that. This person's a star. Pat and I like to watch American Idol. We, we record it so we can zip through the commercials. You can watch an hour of American Idol in 25 minutes or less uh, if you want to. But we enjoy watching these young folks get up and do their thing and, and be evaluated. And one of them's going to be discovered. Maybe it's more than sometimes not even that's the winner, but some of the other people are discovered. And it's like, wow, look at the talent of this person. Well, deep down inside, I think all of us feel like there really is something about us that, that is, is special and good. And wouldn't it be nice if that were discovered? And Paul says, I want to be discovered in Christ. Because the way that happens is this. Because in Christ, we come into the righteousness of God. And we don't have to depend on who we are, but because of our relationship with Him, His righteousness surrounds us. His righteousness fills in the gaps of our lives. His righteousness takes away our failings. His righteousness takes away our failures. His righteousness takes away our past. His righteousness now becomes a part of us. And we are found in Him. We are discovered in Him. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And Paul says, that's now my goal. Is that because of my relationship with Jesus, that now God views me through the eyes of Jesus and through His righteousness and His goodness. He goes on to say that I want to know the power of Christ's resurrection. Now, notice again, he doesn't say, I just want to know more about Christ's resurrection. He says, I want to experience the power of his resurrection. Well, what does that mean? Paul is saying, folks, Jesus didn't die and stay gone. I serve a living Jesus who is with us right now. goes back to what he was talking about, to know Christ. Because he is still living, we can know him. And it is a a change in our attitude, but a very important change when we make that, that jump from thinking of Jesus back then to thinking of Jesus right now. And that he still lives, that he lives forever. And that there is power in that life that he has. And our lives can be joined to his life as well. He says, I want to even share in his sufferings. I love that little line there. 
Because you know what? Have any of you had any suffering in your life? Have any of you ever been frustrated by sufferings in your life? And oftentimes in our lives when suffering comes into our life, we begin thinking, why me? And why am I having to go through this? Paul said that my relationship with Jesus totally made me reevaluate what suffering was all about. Because suffering is a part of life. It's so much a part of life, even Jesus suffered. And therefore, if he suffered, why do I think I'm never going to suffer? And it brings purpose to my sufferings because I realize that my sufferings are not in vain. This is why Paul could write in other places that I'm really a stronger person because of my sufferings and because of the way I look at them now and the way I now frame them within the sufferings of Jesus Christ. And one more great thing about it is by sharing in his sufferings, he suffers along with us. That we realize that we're not suffering alone. He knows what it's like to be the suffering Savior. And he enters into our sufferings as well and walks beside us and holds our hands and gives us the strength. One of my favorite passages is Isaiah chapter 53 where God reveals himself as a God of compassion and a God of our Savior. A God, our Savior, who walks through the rivers with us, who walks through the fire with us and preserves us and gives us strength through sufferings. So Paul says, now I've taken the things in my life that are difficult and totally reframed them within the framework of Jesus. He goes on to say, even I conform to the death of Christ. I find that an interesting thing. Why did Jesus die? Well, Jesus died once and for all for sin. He died to sin so that he might live to God. And he calls upon us to do the same thing. That when we come to him, we die to the selfish part of our lives. We die to the part of our lives that wants to be God in and of ourself. And we decide that we will live for him. And another thing about conforming to his death is that Jesus died for others. And we as followers of Jesus are called upon to be willing to die for others as well. And that can mean so much. It means, first of all, there may come a time in our life where we actually need to give our physical life for the life of someone else. We can't rule that out. But what we know happens on a regular basis is that we have to take ourselves and put ourselves aside in order for the benefit of someone else. So many times in our, just our daily lives, we have to set aside what I want so that someone else can be blessed. We have to set aside my opinion so that someone else can enjoy life. We have to set aside some wrong that's been done against us by someone so that we can give forgiveness to them just as Christ set aside the wrongs that were done for him so that he might extend forgiveness to them. Even in our self-sacrifice and even in our little dyings along the way, we do it for the benefit of others and thus, therefore, we conform to the death of Christ. And then finally, he says, I want to live in hope of my own resurrection because finding within him the hope of his resurrection or the fact of his resurrection gives me hope for mine. I know I say this often, but it's so meaningful to me. I want to say it again. Is it okay? We as believers live our whole lives upon this earth with the knowledge that the best of our lives lies ahead of us. 
Now, we enjoy so much about our life, and especially in this wonderful nation where we have been given so many things that we can use for our physical pleasure and, and just have a life that compared to world history and even to other parts of the world today, life is so easy and so pleasant to live. But even in that situation, we struggle with things, we have things that pull us down, and we can come to a point without faith where we feel like our best days are behind us and that we can never really have anything in front of us to pull us on. But Paul says, for those of us who are in Christ, we realize that the best always lies ahead. And whatever it is that we're going through right now is worth going through, and we can go through it with the power and strength of Jesus in our lives right now, knowing that out there, it's going to be even better. Out there lies our future and the best of our days. Isn't that what he says at the end of this passage? As he calls us to know who we are, he says, Beloved, think with me now. I don't consider that I've made it my own, but the one thing I do is I forget what lies behind and I strain forward to that wonderful thing that lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. His invitation to his friends in Philippi was to join him in redefining their lives in the light of a relationship with Christ. And therefore, our invitation remains the same, that that invitation remains open to you to come and to allow yourself to be placed into him through your faith, through your baptism, and to wear his name and let him define who you are. Let's stand and sing.